Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Better Leader Podcast. In this, our second installment of having our friend Andrew Albritton on the show. Uh, last month, we talked about public speaking and communication, and today we're continuing the conversation about communication, but talking specifically about conversational skills and relationship building in that capacity. Uh, Andrew, why don't you start us off by telling us today, who is one of your favorite leaders because of their conversational skills? So one of my favorites is a fellow by the name of Jerry Chin. He was my department head when I was staff at Missouri State. And he was the perfect leader in that role because he viewed himself very much as a problem. He's there to solve problems for faculty members or for students who had issues. And he, but he would always check on you and see how you're doing too. So it was, it, there was no micromanaging. Um, he, he viewed himself very much as a problem solver, someone who would help you with anything. You could always approach him about anything. And he would always check in with you and just see how things were going and chat with you about life. And it really meant a lot to me. And you know, when I, when I did finally get my PhD and stuff, he came into my office and he knows me, he knew me so well, he brought me a, a uh, nameplate that says Dr. Andrew Albritton, and on the back, because he knows I love literature, it says, uh, life starts all over again when things get crisp in the fall, which is a quote from The Great Gatsby. And so that's the quote that always faces me. Um, and again, it was the most perfect thing. I remember I sh- showed it to my mom and she started crying, but it's like, he knew me. He, wow. he, he wanted to celebrate me. He knew that I loved literature, and so he, he and he knew I was becoming a professor, and that means the fall is the restart of life for us. It's a very kind of counterintuitive thing. Um, and so it was just a really sweet thing that he did. I mean, that's the type of guy he is. He knew me well. He would help me with anything. And he told me before I went into my dissertation defense, um, he said, now listen, first of all, chill out. They're going to pass you. <laughs> He's like, they're not going <laughs> to. They didn't bring you this far, right? Um, and he said, and remember, there's going to be one person on, that, on, the, on the group that's just going to be the kind of jerk, right? Um, He's like, there's going to be one person that's going to kind of jump on you and act like they don't, they're not having it. He goes, that's, that's kind of the way this goes. So he was just letting me know these things. So, so encouraging, so friendly. He knew what was going on in my life. He was there to help at all times. Great guy. Get to have lunch with him tomorrow. Still in touch with him, even though he's retired now. And so he comes to mind immediately. Okay, so is that, you're in obviously higher education. Is that commonplace in your setting, that type of relationship? I can't speak to, I honestly can't answer that question very well, just because I've been in just a couple of departments, and I've had pretty good experiences. Right. So I can't, and I've, I've had a lot of interim department heads, too, over the years, in, in fact. That's, that's the thing, is like stand-ins. And so it, it, it's, it's hard to say. I suspect, But it's, it's super attractional when you do find right, it. I, I suspect, certainly Jerry's level is not the norm, period. That, that, that what he was doing was really, really special, I believe, um, at, at that level. And, but yeah. And it set him apart as a, as a leader. It and set that, him apart as a leader. And, That's and right. so in terms of like, okay, how did that, how, how did that come about in conversation? It sounds like it was through his taking time to have a conversation with you. Precisely. And that is a leadership skill that I, I believe in because I see people do it. Some of my favorite leaders are some of the best conversationalists. True. And what is the starting point of having good conversations? What would you yeah. say? The starting point of having good conversations is a desire to connect with other people, a legitimate desire to connect with other people in the heart. You know, it's easy. You can look up clickbait and YouTube videos all online about hacks for (laughs) appearing as some brilliant raconteur, some great conversationalist, right? At the end of the day, though, it's not about a series of behaviors, although behaviors are an important part of this. What actually matters is your heart and your mind. 
do you have a desire to connect with other people? Do you have an interest in other people? Do you want to hear other people's story? Do you want to tell other people your story? Do you want to have this exchange? Do you want to encourage and be encouraged? Do you want to share your life with somebody? That's the attitude. And, you know, I see, and we've talked about this, online memes all the time about how this or that person doesn't like people. And we've all seen this and heard this. I like I my like dogs, people. but not people. Yeah, or this whatever. type of stuff. Yeah. I like dogs, not people. Um, the problem with going in public is all the people, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm not judging the people with that attitude. I see where they're coming from. We've all felt that before. There's no question. I get it. Uh, so no judgment here, no hate here with what I'm about to say. But you want to be a good leader. You want to be a good conversationalist. And you want to be someone who's making a difference in the world. You have to drop this jaded cynicism about the people around you. It's got to go. Um, and it may not go immediately. If you've really clung to this type of attitude for a while, it's going to take a while to release that grip and let it go. But if you want to be a good conversationalist, it's about seeing the value of all people, a desire to connect with those people, a desire to hear their story, a desire to share your story with them, a desire to encourage and be encouraged, as I've said. And, 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 and once you have that heart of, of wanting to help and be helped by people and wanting to be connected with people and wanting to be an encourager, um, that's going to lead to good conversations and good leadership, guaranteed. And so all of us cling to even if we're not sharing memes, a little bit of a cynicism about people and a little bit of a lack of trust about people, a little bit of that's justified, obviously, but not too much. I think most of us have too much of this. Most of us have a little bit too much of this black cynicism in our hearts, and we need to let it go and have a desire to connect with people. Even people that rub us the wrong way, how often in our lives do we have someone, we meet them the first time, we're like, what's going on here? And then it turns out like that person becomes one of our very good friends. Like, am I alone in this? Have you had oh, this experience? Oh, no. I think right. I, I'm typically, people have that experience with me. Where uh, I, don't, no. I don't feel like I always make a great uh, first, first impression. impression. Yeah. yeah no. But, but yeah. I, do, uh, I do agree with you. In leadership, I think it's easy to get like a us versus them mentality. Good point. Um, I don't know why that comes up. I've just noticed it in education, in coaching. Uh, in education, it was kind of like teachers against the students, right? Yeah. In coaching, it was uh, coaches against the players. And I think that that happens in – I've seen it in every setting where there's this tendency that's – you know, it's kind of a phenomenon really. It of is. Like, it becomes us versus them. But I think when you're focused on conversations and yeah. other people and uh, adding value to them, that's it right. becomes – us together, right? right? And receiving value from them. I I have to balance this equation because the attitude of always wanting to add value can lead you to kind of an egotism, moralism, stuff like that. We've got to have the desire also, and you learn this in education, as you know, you learn from the students. Now, I'm not one of those people who says, I always learn more than they learn from me. If if you're a teacher who says you learn more from the students than they learn from you, you're a terrible teacher. Let's just be honest. Um, Is that going to get me in trouble? I don't think so. I don't care. Uh, But (laughs) the point here is this. If If you are... Um, a, a teacher, you learn that you do learn quite a lot from the students, and you have to you have to learn that because. And, and what I've discovered is this: true connection with other people is not me simply investing in them, although that's a good starting point. But it's me having a willingness to receive investment from them, even if I'm leading them or authority in some way from them. Uh, I have to be open to receiving from them as well, and that's a big part of deepening the relationship. I think that is so counterintuitive to probably what you hear in a lot of leadership veins and whatnot is. Yeah. But when you are leading well, you are so blessed because you are receiving value back from other people, which is only helping you become a better leader down the road. And it's this awesome kind of uh, almost in a sense like a symbiotic relationship that that kind of happens. And uh, I do believe that conversation is a spark for that. knowing people and getting to know them how that's something you become passionate about and you are a great conversationalist how has that how has that developed 
Yeah. Thanks for the compliment. I'm, I'm still working on it. I, I still, I have so much self-doubt about my conversations. I'm like everybody else. I'll have a conversation with somebody and I'll walk away from them and be like, why did I do that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? Like, and almost everybody who's listening to this knows about this, right? It's like, and so I, I don't view myself as some kind of great conversationalist. Um, I have a lot of self-doubt in this area, frankly. Um, but with that said, I, I think what's really important is, again, a desire to connect, and then you have to demonstrate that desire to connect. So, so the desire is where we start. Where do we go from there? Well, we have to demonstrate the desire to connect. And so we do that in a number of ways. We do it with our nonverbal behavior, first and foremost. Break that down a little bit. Sure. So I've got a GIF. No, it's a meme from just a still that I use in one of my classes. And it's from the film Hitch, the romantic comedy from you know the early 2000s. And Hitch is saying to his client, the great Kevin James, you know, um, he's saying to him that 90% of what you're saying isn't coming out of your mouth, right? And it's true. And, and you look at that and you may think, okay, that's kind of the exaggeration, hyperbole, you know, exaggeration to make a point. Uh, in reality, this has been studied hard, and it's about 90%. So if you're in person with somebody, and especially if you don't know the person that well, okay, you are getting 90% to 93% of your information from their nonverbal behavior, not from their words. So let me give a quick example of this. Because again, when you say this, this is so extreme that some people say, surely not. 93%? Okay, it's easy to break this down. And the example that I always use is this one. I can say to you the words, great job. And I can say them, and I can mean one thing, or I can mean the opposite. I can say, great job. Or I can say, great job. Okay, now, if you're not watching this right now, I'm, <laughs> I guess some people are just going to listen and not see it. So the great job is said with a smile, and you can hear the enthusiasm in the voice. The great job, right? The downward uh, moving of the pitch. I'm rolling my eyes. That means the opposite of great job. It's sarcasm, right? And so the nonverbals actually are what are communicating the feeling. Yeah, because the, the tone was the, the same, essentially. That's yeah. right. And so, um, yeah, only slight difference in tone, significant difference, though, in the... Um, but, but the point is this, and, and, and tone of voice is a part of nonverbal behavior. Um, the words themselves are not the tone. This is, this is one of those fine I guess distinctions. tone was the wrong thing. The projection well, of the words There you go, the there same. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, but, but the point is this. Uh, nonverbals actually share a lot of the meaning, and like I said, about 90% of the meaning is, what you, is, is the number. Okay, so what are some, what are some nonverbals to avoid? Okay, uh, big nonverbals to avoid, the blank face, the blank stare. We've all had conversations, get to know somebody. And with students, I get it. If, if I'm meeting a student for the first time in the classroom especially, well, I don't expect them to, <laughs> they're, they're a little scared, it's a little bit nervous. They don't know me yet, they're not sure what to do here. And so I get a lot of like blank responses like, hi, I say to them, hi, how are you? And they're like, fine, how are you? <laughs> like, just completely blank. And so if you meet someone or are starting a conversation with someone that you know, and you're completely blank, that's going to communicate a number of potential meanings. One is that you're not thinking very much, that you're not maybe that smart. Blankness may be communicating a lack of thinking. It also may be communicating hostility, nervousness. It can be communicating a lot of things. And so how do we diffuse that one? Well, we have to replace it with a better nonverbal. And so, of course, the smile. The smile is the most universally recognized symbol in human communication. It, the effects of the smile, if you look at the studies about this, are nearly magical. A smile is something that is uh, 
disarming in the best way. It builds trust. And it has to be a real smile, by the way. Again, so this has to be a smile coming from a desire to connect with the person that you're meeting for the first time or going to talk to for the hundredth time or whatever it is. Um, a smile because you saw the person. Hey, how's it going? With a smile. A real smile, that does a lot. And that really is helpful um, in, in showing the desire to be connecting with, with another person. So, so, the smile, so, so avoid the blank face with a smile. Um, uh, you know, another thing is this. You don't want to be too fidgety. Now, again, we're all of us move a little bit. I'm, I'm a mover for sure. Um, but you don't want to be too fidgety with your, yourself. That's very distracting, and, and it comes across as potentially nervous. Um, so you want to avoid that. Of course, we all know this, the closed body situation, right? Hunched shoulders and crossed arms is kind of a closed thing. Also, you want to be careful of your body angle. Uh, at even the slightest angle away from the person that you're talking to suggests I'm about to make an exit. So you want to be aware of body angle. And um, also, a uh, big no-no is close talking. Don't get in somebody's face. And so the way that you avoid close talking, because of course, close talkers don't know they're close talkers. They don't know that they're doing something that makes other people uncomfortable. So I tell people, if you think you might be a close talker, um, when, next time you go to chat with somebody, do they take a step away? That's very simple. I mean, do they take a step away from you? Um, then you're a close talker. And so stop getting so close to people's face. So a handful of no-nos there. Those, um, are, those are super helpful. And one of my <laughs> one of my worst traits is that because I am very extroverted in nature, sure. I can often look past people because sure. I'm seeing, reading the room, right? Yeah. And, I'm, yeah. and I have had to learn to like lock in on sure. the conversation and to focus. Okay, let's talk about eye contact. Um, eye contact is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I'm not sure that the popular wisdom that eye contact is less than it used to be is true. I, I haven't seen any actual empirical verification of that. Um, and as I often say, you've heard me teach many times, uh, but as I often say, older generations always complain about younger generations in almost every way. And it's happened since we've got documentation. I mean, all the way back of recorded history, it's the older generation complains about the younger generation. Um, and so there's a common wisdom out there that, that people aren't as good with eye contact as they used to be. Now, where that's definitely true, and we don't need empirical verification, is whenever we got our phone out and we're looking at our phone, well, we're not making eye contact and we're doing something else, okay? So that's a time we shouldn't, shouldn't uh, be looking at the phone and should be making eye contact. But here's the point. There's the 50-70 rule, which is a pretty good rule in American society, in the professional world, and in the personal world as well. If you're talking, look at somebody about 50% of the time. If you're listening, look at them about 70% of the time. Most people are pretty comforted to hear those numbers, by the way. They think they should be looking at them the whole time. In reality, that's the not... time, no yep. blinking. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> if you're just staring someone down hard... Um, that's worse than making no eye contact for most of us because it's aggressive and it's creepy. Uh, no eye contact is just pathetic, right? Um, we'd, we'd, I'd rather be pathetic than aggressive and creepy, frankly. <laughs> um, that's just me. But anyway, so 50-70 so rule, 50% of the time if you're chatting with somebody, look at them. 70% uh, of the time if you're listening, uh, look at them. And again, obviously it's hard to do that in the moment. It's, it's, this is a habit you have to build. You have to be uh, conscious of this and work at this. But um, like I said, most people are relieved because you don't have to actually look at someone a whole lot. Um, if you actually look at the studies, there's not that much eye contact going on, especially if you're talking. You don't have to bore into someone's soul if you're talking to them. Um, listening, like I said, 70% of the time, that's, that's just a little over two-thirds of the time you're looking at them. So it's normal to move your eyes around a little bit. So don't beat yourself up too much for that. Yeah. yeah. I, I uh, you know, I, one of the things I find myself, well, I get to 
thankfully, I really enjoy. I get to talk with a lot of young communicators sure. who are maybe doing it for the first time or whatever. Yeah. And I find myself so often telling them, hey, smile more while you're talking. Absolutely. Because, and that's in terms of public speaking. I know we talked about that last month, but yeah. the, even for this, just a conversation, smiling and having a pleasant look yeah. uh, on your face, even when that's not being reciprocated, you, right. you, you just maintaining that and that's uh, something, definitely helps. Yeah. In, and uh, yeah, go ahead. No, that's something I need to work on as, as I evaluate myself. I'm often, again, in the lecture hall, it's a little bit different, but I'm, I'm thinking through things and I'm, I'm responding to questions often and so on and so forth. And I find myself with the thoughtful frown. Nothing wrong with the thoughtful frown, especially if you're in a lecture hall and you're thinking, right? No big deal. But I find myself often as I speak, frowning as I think. And again, that's not a problem. But I do think to myself, you know, I could smile a little bit more and I could have a, a less... Um, frowny demeanor when I speak. It's something I'm thinking about, actually, in my own, as I try and improve and so on. Um, so in conversations, I think that's something I want to be aware of, too. Certainly in public speaking um, scenarios, I want to frown a little less. Again, the thoughtful frown's okay. It's not that I'm saying that's bad. It's that I would like to smile a little bit more myself. This is literally something I've been thinking about in my own communication that I'd like to improve. But we want to be aware of it in communication as well, by the way, I mean, in conversation communication as well. Because I I've had conversations with people who are listening to me. They clearly care. They're clearly attentive, but their nonverbal behavior is that of a frown. And it's a thoughtful frown, and it's an engaged frown, but a frown is still a frown, and it has a neurological response because we're all animals to some degree. We're more than animals, right? But, but we are, and so there's this kind of response. I've got someone who's frowning at me for a long period of time, and so that's something we have to be aware of, that facial expression. It's important that we, uh, especially in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, not be frowning, even if we're just being thoughtful. And, and I've noticed this, that we, what, if, you're, if you're leading, you probably have um, some authority over people yeah. uh, to some degree, yeah. you know, where eventually if you keep growing as a leader, you probably will have that at some point. Yeah. And yep. it's easy to forget when you're in a leadership position. And I find myself with, uh, you know, the people that I manage, I don't even think that they might be nervous to talk to me about something. That doesn't right. even cross my mind because in my mind, I'm totally disarmed. I'm ready. But I know when yeah. I talk to my superiors or someone that I'm reporting to that I, I have a little bit more tension in bringing it up. Absolutely. And conversation and getting to know someone like you talked about um, with your former supervisor at MSU, mm -hmm. uh, that disarms you to where you as a leader then are connecting with them. You're going to get better feedback. You're, we talked about that last uh, month, how it's hard to get feedback, good feedback from people yep. who are in your organization. But the better of a conversationalist you are, I think you will get better feedback. Correct. You'll get more openness. You'll get more honesty. And I think with that, you can get more done. Would you have anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I would say you're exactly correct. I agree completely. No qualifications. I think what we have to encourage leaders to do is make the time to walk around the room and chat. Mm. You know what I mean? Again, I'm thinking in the terms of the lecture hall, but walk around the halls of your organization and chat. That's what Jerry, the guy that I was talking about earlier, my department head, right? That's what he did. He walked around and he chatted with people, legitimately caring about them. This wasn't a performative and behavior. He, was, he wasn't distracting people. It was a... He, he was going and just chatting. And, and it wasn't like, hey, we need to talk about this. It was, it was like, hey, how are you? What's going on in your life right now? What's going on? Any, any issues around here? And it was legit. And it was an incredible thing. Um, and so you got to seek that out. In, in other words, don't simply be prepared for that conversation when they come. I would say seek out these relationships as is appropriate within your organization. And in fact, this, this hits on a thing. I was asked to write an MBA class and deliver it at Missouri State. And the, all they gave me was the title. They just wanted an elective online. And the title of the class was Organizational Communication. 
Okay, so there's easily three dozen major subtopics of organizational communication if you're gonna have a four uh, month class, one semester class. And so I just started looking at textbooks and deciding what I wanted to do, and it was actually this exact topic that I decided to pursue, and so I got a book about interpersonal relationships, effective interpersonal relationships from an organizational and uh, non-organizational perspective. And so I taught from both perspectives, and we talked about all kinds of stuff, emotional intelligence, big part of it, communication styles was a big part of it. And I just, as I was reading this book and thinking about how I wanted to deliver this class, I, it occurred to me, man, how much better would organizations be if there was trust and legitimate positive relationships while maintaining legitimate hierarchies? We have to have them. Um, not everyone will agree with that in academia, by the way, but, but I think we have to have some form of hierarchy in some way within our organizations. Just it's, It seems to be the way it has to be. Um, and while maintaining those, though, we can have relationships up and down the hierarchy that are positive and that are encouraging and that are helpful, even giving constructive feedback. And so I pursued that and learned a lot about it, and, and I became completely convinced in reading that book of the power of seeking out conversations and appropriate levels of relationship with your people because that builds trust, which is vital, um, and it, it diffuses groupthink. In other words, we, if we're trusting, we're not all just gonna go on board with every idea. We're gonna say, okay, actually, what if we do this and we can, we can help correct each other? And it just does so many good things in an organization where you can, where you can build interpersonal relationships through conversation. Yeah, that, that man, I, I really do think a lot of that is kind of counterintuitive, maybe. I think it's easy for a leader to want to shield themselves from that. Correct. Um, because the truth is, uh, leadership is not for wimps. There are times when it hurts. That's and right. when you build relationships with people, when you are in a leadership position, you are kind of opening yourself up in a sense of vulnerability. But, Big time. Uh, at the same time, too, if you don't do that, I think it's far more negative than if you did. So Correct. Uh, kind of in a similar way to what we kind of closed with last month, I asked yeah. you, uh, you know, how do you get 5% better, right? Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I would kind of ask you in the same vein. Okay. You're wanting to be a better conversationalist. Okay. All right. We're taking interest in other people's. If you, it, people, if you want to be a better conversationalist, yep. you're probably thinking about those things. Yep. You're working on those nonverbal communications. Yep. Is there anything about like what you're actually saying or things yeah. that you've learned from that extra, like, Give, give someone sure. that boost. Okay. I would say for the 5% boost, let's do this. Think about the questions that you ask when you have a conversation. Think about the questions that you ask. Think about the questions that you ask and the follow-up questions. Very often, whether you're getting to know someone or you know them very well, the first question that you ask is not one that elicits a huge response. Getting to know someone for the first time, where are you from? or where'd you go to high school or something like that? What's your major, right? Um, those types of questions. Now, the follow-up question though is where the conversation will often happen. And so think, think about what you're asking and think about how you're following up. So if you're a college student, I think, you know, in terms of universities, what's your major is a great opening question. That's a good opening question because it tells you a little bit about the person. A great follow-up question that actually builds a conversation because notice a conversation is not built by saying I'm a communication major. I'm a education major, right? That doesn't, that doesn't do anything. Um, that just gives you, I mean, it does it's something. It gives you information, but it doesn't build a conversation. Okay, here's where the conversation comes. Follow-up question. What do you plan on doing with that? And they may, they may say, I don't know. And then you can say, even better follow-up question. What would the ideal be? 
You see what I'm saying? Like, think, think about what you ask and think about the follow-up questions. Let me hit you with a couple of not great opening conversation starters if you're getting to know someone for the first time. The go-to conversation starters are often related to job and family. I say don't start there. If, let the other person decide what they want to talk about. And they'll, they'll show very quickly what they're interested in, what they want to talk about. If they want to talk about their job, great. Ask them questions about their job. If they want to talk about their family, great. Ask them questions about their family based on the information they've already revealed. But don't start with job and family. This is, in your experience, is this where most people go pretty quick? Oh, probably where I go uh, often. Uh-oh, yeah. uh-oh. No, there's nothing wrong with doing that, by the way. This is not an ethical issue. This is an issue of effectiveness. So here, here's why, here's why I, I rein it in a little bit on asking about job and family initially. Um, job, most people don't have a career that they're super excited about. That's mm. a sad fact. It's, it's not something I'm happy about, right? And part of the thing that I'm trying to do at Missouri State is I teach students is help them get to a place where they can embrace wherever they land, right? But most people just got a job. That's how they make money. It's just what they do. They're not that interested in it. And again, I could be wrong. Maybe it's not most people, but there's a significant subset of people that it's just not, that's not the topic that's really going to excite them. Does that make sense? Yeah, they're maybe not where they want to be yet. That's, not not where mean, they want to be yet, especially I, in your world yeah, with young adults. Yeah, right? there's, a, there's a lot of yeah. people that aren't quite where they want to be yet. That's right. Or and then every once in a while, you're going to bump into somebody who's not, who doesn't have a job right now. You ever put your foot in your mouth with a person? I have. Like, oh, so what are you doing? What are you doing these days? Uh, I've been unemployed for a few months. Like, now, now what? <laughs> like, oops. So, and that's not a few people out there that are between jobs or hunting. And so not a great place to start the conversation is all I'm saying. Again, nothing wrong with that. The family question comes down to this one. Um, a lot of people will ask couples, especially getting to know couples. You have, you have kids. Pretty quick go-to thing. Um, and again, it's not ethically wrong to ask that question. The question is, is it an effective conversation starter? Well, here's the reason it may not be. 10% of couples can't have children, and more than that 10% struggle with it significantly. So you're approaching, well, I don't know the exact number, so I won't give any, but you've got a huge chunk of people that you meet if you're meeting another couple. And if you ask them if they have kids, again, there's nothing wrong with that, and they may just say no. Or, But it's just not the topic that's going to, get you going with the conversation. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so the, the if you're really trying to get started, I would say um, ask open-ended questions about, if, if you don't know the person that is, ask open-ended questions about what that person likes. In other words, uh, what do you like to do? That's, that's one of my favorite questions. Like, what do you like to do is one of my favorite questions. Yeah, that's good. So you, you ask that, and then, then you're going to learn about things, and you're going to hear, uh, maybe they want to talk about their kids now. Well, I'm mostly, I've got three little kids right now, right? It's, and and you, that's going to come up. And it's like, so I'm just mostly playing with them. Okay, great. Tell me about your kids. Now we can go there. Does that make sense? You've brought it up. And so you ask this kind of open-ended question about things that the person likes. Ask for their opinion about something. And again, that may be the follow-up question or the second follow-up question. But get to a point after an initial couple questions to ask a question that's open-ended about an opinion or something that they like in particular. See where they go with it and then ask them questions about the things that they demonstrate an obvious interest in. And if you really want to get better at all this, there's a book called Conversationally Speaking by Alan Garner that I would recommend reading. It's a slim book. You know, it's 120 pages or something, maybe a little bit more than that. And he goes all the way in about questions in what He creates these matrices about, okay, if you're in this scenario and you're approaching this type of person, ask this type of question. And so I do recommend that book. Again, Conversationally Speaking by Alan Garner. It's an older book. It's a little dated now, but the, the wisdom within it is timeless. I love that 
because so often it is, I'm just not that great at talking to people. Sure. And it's something you can get better at. It's it something that you can practice, you can think through, That's right. and you can become better at. And you it can. is something that, as leaders, we need to take an inventory, just as you're talking. Yeah. I'm taking inventory over here of, okay, how can I be a better conversationalist? Because I truly do want to have a greater impact. Right. I think most people do. And so, yeah. man, Andrew, th- this has all been so helpful, and uh, I so appreciate you sitting down to have a conversation with me and for our listeners. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, a great time having Andrew. And so just to encourage you again, if, if this content has been meaningful to you, share it with others, uh, like our channel, subscribe. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all again next month for another episode of the Better Leader Podcast.